Welcome to Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. This podcast, brought to you by the experts of the Orlando Regional Realtor Association, is your go-to listening for all things home buying and selling in Central Florida. Our podcast is released on the second Tuesday of every month, and we'll be bringing what you need to know if you're thinking of buying or selling a home anywhere in this area. Tune in for topics such as qualifying for a mortgage, staging your home to sell, considering new construction options, and so much more. Of course, we'll always take a look at the current state of the Orlando housing market and its influence on buyers and sellers. You can look forward to a new Realtor host for each edition of Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. Hi, I'm your host, Realtor Rob Sassos. One of the many benefits of having a Realtor is that we will guide you through the exciting process of buying a home which is made up of several stages. In the closing stage, one of the most critical transactions is wire transfer. Unfortunately, there's an increase in financial institutions and home buyers falling victim to wire transfer scams connected to real estate closings. According to the National Association of Realtors, real estate wire fraud is one of the fastest growing cyber crimes in the United States. NAR said that in 2018, 11,300 people were victims of wire fraud in real estate. If this is your first time buying a house, or even if it's your third time, it's always useful to know how it's done and what you should do to stay away from these fraudsters. To go over this topic, we have here with us Christopher Condi, Senior Vice President of Florida State Operations for CADIC. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to join you. Thanks for the invitation. It is absolutely our pleasure. So wire fraud, I got some questions for you because it's just one of those things that buyers and sellers tend to overlook, but it is out there. So for those who haven't bought a house yet, can you please go over why you wire money for a closing? Sure. Uh, primarily, it's for timing reasons. Uh, title companies and, and banks are um, only allowed to disperse good funds, and wired funds are considered good the minute they're received, whereas a check, if you were to send the money via a check, it may take a few days for that money to clear the bank system. Okay, so it's quicker in hand, quicker sent, quicker in hand, correct? Correct. Okay, so now for those people that don't know what exactly it is, what's, what is mortgage wire fraud? Well, that's a very broad, mortgage wire fraud is a very broad topic. And so for our purposes today, we'll limit it just to uh, mortgage wire fraud in, in residential real estate transactions or even commercial real estate transactions. And it's where some criminal or fraudster attempts by any number of means to get access to the monies that are being received and dispersed in a real estate transaction. So it's nefarious people with nefarious activities. <laughs> That's right. Gotcha. So how does mortgage fraud work? Again, it, it takes a lot of different um, identities, and uh, some of those you may have heard of, and, and some uh, you may not because they're always changing. But the most common uh, way they do that is, is through something called either business email compromise or email account compromise, where the, the person who's going to be sending money receives an email that appears to be legitimate and from one of the parties to the transaction, but is in fact a spoofed email, a fraudulent email with instructions to send the money to some other account than the account that the, the funds are intended to go to. Okay. So you essentially need to be vigilant, correct? 
I mean, how can how can a buyer identify if they're a victim of, of mortgage fraud? That's a really good question, Rob. There are a number of things that buyers and sellers should be aware of and look for uh, when they're involved in a real estate transaction to protect themselves against these types of frauds. One thing that they should be doing is contacting all of the parties in the transaction, communicating with them at the very beginning to understand what their process is for communication and especially communication that deals, that deals with sensitive information or the transfer of monies. So that at the very beginning, the buyer or the seller knows what to expect from all the parties. Another thing that they should be very vigilant, I like that word that you used. It's an important word and we're going to use it a lot today, but be vigilant of any email uh, communication they receive. Look at the email address, make sure that it matches what you're expecting. If it does, don't assume everything's okay. Still be suspicious, still be vigilant. Look at what they're asking. Is it information you were expecting? Does the information make sense? Is the grammar appropriate or is the punctuation appropriate? Um, does anything look out of the ordinary? In fact, FBI agents will tell you, go with your gut. If your gut feels like something's not right, um, be very cautious. And finally, don't let an email that purports to be urgent or time sensitive cause you to do something in a rush. Take your time. Don't, don't rush into anything. Be vigilant. Research everything. And if you still have questions, pick up the phone and dial the phone number that you have independent of the email for that particular party and ask them if they sent you this email and if the instructions are correct. Perfect. So when all else fails, pick up the phone and just call the person. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's really important, Rob, that you don't dial the number that's listed in the email. You know, the fraudster is not going to put a legitimate phone number in their fraudulent email. They're going to put their phone number. So, so when you have an email that looks suspicious, don't reply to it. Don't uh, use the phone numbers listed there. Go back in your other documents, find the real phone number for that person and dial it independently. I agree. That is absolutely critical because it's not like you started the, the uh, transaction with the fraudster. They're jumping into a transaction that you've already are participating in. Correct. Now, let's just say, okay, I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't pay attention. Uh, I, sent, I sent the wire to the, the fraudulent account. Uh, what happens uh, when that money is sent to a fraudulent account? Is there any recourse? Well, it depends. Uh, it depends on the amount of money. It depends where the money was sent. It depends, most importantly, on the time by which you find out that the email was sent to the wrong account. So the FBI will tell you that, that um, three days is sort of a critical time frame. But, but really, if, if you don't identify that you have sent the funds to the wrong account for earlier than three days, there's less likelihood you're going to be able to recover that money. I always say to folks, watch your accounts, not only daily, but hourly. When you're sending money, uh, don't just assume it got where it was supposed to go. Call the people on the other end, make sure they received it. 
watch your bank accounts online to see the transfer of those funds. Don't just assume that once it's sent, everything's done. So again, we can't stress enough, be vigilant, be vigilant, be vigilant. Be aware of where you're sending the information, pay attention to the transactions that you're taking part in. And at the very least, if all else fails, call the people directly that you've been working with the entire time and confirm the information. Would that be a good summary? Absolutely. Fantastic. Is there anything else that you would like to say about mortgage fraud? Well, we should alert folks that if they do find out that they uh, have been the, a victim of mortgage fraud, there are a number of steps they, they should take. So contact your bank, contact the receiving bank, let them know of the fraudulent transfer. And, and do that early on. Contact the local police authorities and your local FBI office. And last but not least, file a suspicious activity report or an IC3 report at www.ic3.gov. And I forgot to mention one other critical thing. When you call your bank, request that they execute a SWIFT recall, and that is a term of art, S-W-I-F-T, a swift recall. And that is code to the bank um, to take some urgent action on this particular transaction and gives them some protections to do certain things to pull back your money that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Chris, thank you so much. That was some really valuable information. Uh, I learned a lot. I know that. And I hope our listeners did as well. I'm sure they did. And I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. Thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate very much Aura's leadership in putting this information out to the public. It's a terribly important topic. And anything we can do to educate buyers and sellers to help protect themselves is a great effort. So thank you. Orlando is one of the nation's fastest-growing metro areas, according to figures released by the U.S. Census Bureau in 2019. This worldwide tourist destination has attracted thousands of new home buyers to the area in the past few years. The new show, Selling Orlando, will give you an insight into how Orlando's top realtors provide their clients with the best homes in the most wanted areas. Visit FLARealEstateTV.com to watch The Sizzle Reel and subscribe. During October of 2020, Orlando housing showed significant increases in home sales and home prices. Inventory, on the other hand, fell again year over year. A total of 3,634 homes sold during the month, a tally that is 25% more than the 2,906 sales in October of 2019. The median price of an Orlando home sold in October was $269,950, which is a 12% increase compared to October of 2019. Would-be buyers continue to be challenged by the limited number of homes available for sale in Orlando? Compared to October of 2019, the number of homes on the market decreased by 25%. While compared to, to last month, there is 2% less properties available. There are currently 5,840 homes listed for sale. Our housing market numbers are provided by the Orlando Regional Realtor Association. Visit orlandorealtors.com for more information. I want to thank Christopher Condi again. If you are looking to buy or sell a home, go to orlandorealtors.com for information. You can also find a realtor today or browse properties in the Orlando area. Don't forget that a buyer's consultation with a realtor is free and using their expertise will keep the buyer or seller informed with how the market is changing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. 
Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review your key to Orlando real estate and tune in for episodes on the second Tuesday of every month.